So I love dad jokes, and I, um, I guess that, I just didn't see it coming. Threw yeah. me a bit of an Ephus bitch. Yeah, that was a bit of an Ephus bitch. <laughs> Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast with me, Chris Schreier, and as always, my wonderful host, co-host, Mandy Murphy. How are you doing this gray, rainy, whatever the heck day it is morning? I'm wonderful, Chris. How are you? I'm zonked right now. I have no excuse to be like you guys. I know just installed two new fermenters at the brewery and it was like actual hard work. I've just been out late two nights in a row and uh, I'm quite tired right now. <laughs> Nobody's going put your own. Nope. Thank you. Uh, you and my wife could start a club called telling Chris things that are obvious, but that he doesn't want to know. My mom has a thing uh, that you're not allowed to complain about your not feeling well if it's related to a sports injury or a hangover because you've done it to yourself. Yeah, I uh, I mean, the hangover, I kind of can agree on that, but I think complaining about a hangover makes it feel better so it's part of the process as far as i'm concerned the sports injury i mean i guess you opted to play the sport but you could say the same to somebody who's in a car crash well you didn't have to get in that car you didn't have to get t-boned by that <laughs> pickup truck i suppose i think she's just grown tired of my dad uh having all kinds of injuries over the years from hockey and always complaining about them and it re requiring her to take on lots of extra responsibility at home. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. No longer allowed to complain if you've done it to yourself. That's fair. I'll give her that one. Did, were you uh, an injury injury prone kid? Not at all. Quite the opposite. My sister though uh, has a, a nickname called Lumpy, which is not a great name for a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think she had a couple of concussions before the age of ten. So um, she was always getting hurt. She was definitely the clumsy one, and I was quite the opposite. Lumpy. Would she like? Roll her eyes if I called her that the next time I saw her. Oh yeah, that's awesome. I love I love like really awkward nicknames like that that you're not supposed to know, and then you learn them, and then you use them, and it really throws the person off. So like, there's a guy we just found this out. I haven't even seen him since I found this out. But um, you know when you, you meet somebody with like a unique kind of uh, hobby, and you're like, oh, I have another friend who has the same unique hobby, and then of course it turns out they know each other because of the level of uh, uniqueness. And, uh, so the story with no names is probably really confusing to follow, but my original friend, we'll call him Bill. Uh, I was talking to a, a, a cousin, a friend of a friend of mine's cousin, and they both do the same thing. And the cousin was saying, Oh, you know, you know, Bill. Yeah. Oh yeah. The guys, uh, the guys, we all call him blackjack. And we were like, Oh, why do you, why do you call him blackjack? He was like, oh, because because when it comes to dating, he never goes over twenty one. <laughs> oh. So I can't wait for the next time I see him. I'm gonna be like, hey, blackjack, what's up? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, hey, how? So you installed some new tanks yesterday? Would you would you let the fill us in? Fill us in. What's the happening around left field? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're installed, but they are standing. So that's a pretty major accomplishment in and of itself. Yep. Uh, so yeah, we received two new 40-barrel fermenters, so it's the same size of the as the three tanks that we already have in the building. So we've grown from three 40-barrel fermenters to five, which is uh, pretty exciting. Uh, we actually ordered them the week after our first pop-up shop, uh, because we, we really had no idea that we would be capable of selling the amount of beer out of our, our front door that we are. And so we recognized pretty quickly that we needed to expand, and we, we got ordering those tanks, because they do take quite a bit of time to manufacture and, uh, and send. 
And yeah, we hope to have them online and operational within best case scenario, I'm going to say about a week from now. Cool. What's what's? Can you say what the first thing going in then is going to be? Yeah, we're going to brew a bricks and mortar coffee porter with a new uh, variety of coffee from Pilot Coffee, our, our neighbors. Yep. Um, we've been, uh, since we brewed the first batch of that, we've been asked over and over if we could bring it back. And we didn't think it was necessarily the, the best style to do a full-on launch uh, with throughout the summer. So put it off till the fall. But if we can get something into those tanks, like a brew of bricks and mortar in the next couple of weeks, I think the timing will be just about perfect. We would be able to launch it late September. Nice. That's yeah, good. yeah, so we're pretty pretty excited about that. And then the other tank will affectionately become known as the, uh, the second Ephus tank. And we, really, yeah, wow. we we don't want to be the Ephus brewery, but uh, we're having a really hard time keeping up. And um, sales of Ephus always really take off for us in September, so we're we're a little nervous. Well, yeah. I guess as well canning now. That's you know it has a funny way of filling up. Uh, they're taking away beer. <laughs> yeah, it really requires a lot of volume, which is actually the reason we don't have Maris in cans anymore, um, at least for the oh, yeah. short term. We get asked all the time, where is Maris in those cans? And as a as a brand, our pale ale really belongs in a can, right? Like, I, I don't think there's any disputing that. Yeah. Um, that's what people want, but yeah. we just can't brew enough of it to put it in cans. It just takes up so much more volume. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, turning tanks, getting them in. If uh, like, <laughs> It's one of those things. If you've never seen a tank being dropped into a brewery, which I would expect is probably most of you, it's a pretty hair-raising thing because, like, one false move and that thing topples. And, I mean, you know, best case just gets the crap dinged out of it and maybe snaps some stuff off. And, I mean, obviously, they're very large, heavy metal objects. You don't want to be uh, underneath if, if something goes wrong. But I remember I was at Black Oak and... Um, it was when Sawdust was uh, still contracting out of there, and they were getting, I think it might have been a, might have been a sixty actually, and uh, you know you have to bring them in sideways. They come off the truck sideways, and then you turn it in the building, and uh, they knew that the height of the ceiling was like more than sufficient, but they realized where they were putting it was there was a line of fluorescent like lights that were hanging down that were going to interfere with the turn. And they ended up having to like lasso the, the light and like pull it out of the way so that the tank could get dropped in the right spot. It was, it was, it was fascinating to watch those guys. Those guys who do those deliveries really know what they're doing. I'll tell you that it's not a job I would trust myself with at all, but uh, yeah, you guys have plenty of space eh, in terms of turning and they were just tightly packed inside by side. Right. Yeah, you would think so, but not even close, really. We have these uh, these giant beams that make up part of the, the ceiling or the roof, uh, and the tanks sort of need to land between them, not mm. un not underneath them. And so there's a pretty tight space that you need to get them in. Also, we have a uh, we have this racking system that holds all of the glycol lines and the electrical lines and water lines and the the auger for the the grain. Uh, and so we need to wedge the tanks in between that, that rack system that's hanging from the, the ceiling and the wall. And so it was pretty, pretty tight space. A lot of that stuff wasn't in there when we stood up our first three tanks. Um, right. So we're really, we were really sort of running out of space and there was space for one more uh, in and against the wall, which would bring us to six and then space for another six tanks in front of those. And I have no idea how we will ever wedge that sixth tank in, uh, in the first row against the wall because there's there's just very little space left we have the chiller it, um sitting beside it right now and we'll need to move the chiller outside or up onto the roof when we do the, the next expansion so i'm just going to try not to think about that one for now 
<laughs> you can get through the winter before you have to worry about that. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we, we should have probably awesome. ordered our, our next tags already. Um, but it's not happening right now. Well, you know what? Let's do this. Really, let's let's move. Uh, <laughs> let, let me depart from the schedule, which there isn't one, but I had one in my brain. Uh, we got we we put out a, a solicitation for questions two weeks ago, and we had we had two, which is you know one more at least than I was expecting. So that's happy. Um, but uh, one of the questions uh, from uh, on on Twitter. Just flipping over to it here. Uh, Mike Chowns on Twitter. I know Mike uh, said, uh, what's the most rewarding part of running a brewery? Uh, we've just heard some of the uh, hair pulling stuff. And of course, we've dealt with other hair pulling stuff uh, in previous episodes. But for you, Mandy, right now, uh, 8.47 a.m. on uh, Wednesday, the 26th, my computer tells me, what's the most rewarding part of running a brewery? Since I saw the question come in from Mike, I've been thinking about it and racking my brain and thinking about it. There are so many things that are rewarding, and I really struggled. As you know, I struggled to choose just one, or I struggled to keep to the, yeah, keep by to the, way, the Mike, list. You're about to get a list of seven <laughs> rewarding things about running. So a I'll brewery. try. To, I'll try to make it quick, and I'll, I'll give you just a few. Um, <laughs> most recently, and this is, I guess, timely because last night I had a, I had about a three and a half hour long team meeting with our tap room and retail staff. Um, and just, I guess, just being an employer and recognizing that we've created jobs, uh, and not just any old job, like the team seems pretty happy and enthusiastic and uh, engaged in what they're doing. And it's a place that they, they come every day, not just to pay the bills, but they truly enjoy being there. They've fostered their own sort of relationships with one another and, uh, many of them have become friends outside of the brewery uh, and they, they didn't know each other otherwise prior to, to working at left field. Uh, I think just on a, per, on a personal level, um, that's pretty cool to see. It's something that I guess is a, just a byproduct of what we, of what we do and something that I didn't really expect getting so much satisfaction out of. Um, it's just really cool to see good people come together and uh, get to know one another and create relationships and having our, our workplace or our business or be the breeding ground for that has brought me personally a lot of satisfaction. I think it's, uh, I think it's really rewarding. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't yeah. run a brewery, so I don't have <laughs> anything rewarding to add to that. But if you've got another rewarding thing, I'll give you uh, a, a rewarding thing of being a home brewer, which I sometimes am. <laughs> If I have another rewarding thing, yeah, sorry. you said you were you, you were gonna you had like a list going. Do you have another thing, or do oh, you? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, no, I, I do. I was missing where you were going with that. Um, yeah. So I think that can be something that happens in any business. It doesn't need to be a brewery. So if you ask me what the most rewarding thing is about running a brewery and just not running a small business, uh, it would have to be the the reaction that the the public and the beer consuming public has to our our product. Just seeing that we could create something more or less out of thin air. It's just ideas that we've translated into real life, whether they be beer recipes or brand ideas, um, design, packaging, beer styles, like things that we've just created because it's something that we enjoy personally uh, to see that other people connecting with those things and getting enjoyment out of them uh, and fostering, I guess, 
great times with them and their friends and their family um, and being a facilitator of that is is extremely rewarding every time somebody comes up to us and says i just i love your beer so much and i love what you guys are doing and i love your your branding and i thought this was one of the most delicious beers i've ever had and when you hear those sorts of comments it's like okay all that uh, all that crap was really worth it like some of the, the stuff we have to deal with on a daily basis can be fairly stressful and to see people so happy uh, and loving what we're doing so much it, it makes it all worthwhile that's awesome yeah i so we're getting ready to move um which is exciting and cool and uh right now i'm, I'm in the midst actually of tackling the garage and uh, wait wait you would describe moving as exciting and cool the move like where we're gonna end up is very okay. exciting and cool and that. And there's an exciting, cool factor, and it's like the one shining light of moving, which is that you get to kind of go through your stuff, and you actually get to get rid of a lot of stuff and shed a lot of, you know, unnecessary things. But so I'm in the midst of doing the garage, and so yesterday, I, uh, I, I, I went through um, kind of the front half of the garage, and, and it's obviously where the stuff that gets used more is, and so all my home brewing stuff was in there, and I actually have not brewed a beer in calendar year 2015 yet uh, at what? home yeah no not at all and there's a whole host of reasons why i did in fact try to brew a beer and it's funny because i've tried to brew a beer just because i wanted to brew it like no ulterior motive but it occurred to me as i was doing the planning and stuff for it that i was like this would be a cool beer to hit up uh you guys hit up mark with as as doing like for the little league thing because it was going to be a Japanese pale ale. And so it was going to be, uh, there's going to be some rice in the uh, grain bill to lighten it up a bit. It was going to be all Sriracha Ace hops and there's going to be a little ginger in the, in the dry, uh, in the dry hop. And I thought it'd be really cool. And obviously, you know, especially if after your team meeting last night, you tuned into the game, uh, we've got a fantastic Japanese pitcher that we could, you know, play with the name a little bit. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. I did try and make that beer. I screwed it up. I can't remember if I talked about this in the podcast or not. I did talk about it on Facebook a bit because I I was grabbing grain off of um, a friend, uh, a brewer, and... It, they often have milled grain in uh, bags, like in grain bags. But what the grain bag says rarely correlates to what's in the grain bag. It's just they've used an empty bag at the at the outlet of the mill. And it just said mash on it. And so I thought, hey, cool. It's probably just two-row or Maris or something like that. So I took it. But it was what was actually on the label. It was sour malts. It was acidified malt. And so I put like five and a half kilos of acidified malt into my mash. I love that you mashed in just whatever grain was in the bag. You didn't know what it was until it was in there. I didn't even taste it. I had but some I, attention to quality and, and detail right there. That's the kind of homebrewer I am. That's why homebrewers don't generally brew with me. But it's funny because that's actually the direction I was going. Though. So, uh, where? Uh, can't even remember how I got off on that tangent. I was going through my brewing stuff and uh, I haven't brewed this year, and, but I was going through my stuff and I realized I've got gear. I've got some stuff that's just been like straight given to me. Um, Jeff at Muddy York's actually been very, very cool to me, passing along uh, homebrew stuff that he doesn't need anymore. So that's been really cool. But also, like I look at this stuff and there's so much like collective energy and like collective knowledge. And I know that's the case for anything, 
But for some reason, it really stood out to me in homebrewing. I was looking at this and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got I got the idea for that counterflow uh, chiller from Mark's counterflow chiller. Right. Um, I got this idea for my how I do my my mash ton uh, from a guy. I don't even really know him that well, but a guy kind of half know online called Tim. I was like, this is you know, I love the the way that in this in this hobby, like it's so supportive and it's so um you know, intermeshed, even if you are an idiot and do things like put five and a half kilos of sour malt in your, in your mash, they still let you be part of the club, which is pretty cool. Um, and so I don't run a brewery that's, but, but in terms of brewing, that's probably one of the most fulfilling things that, and obviously, and, and, you know, it's sort of a pat answer, but, uh, you know, access to beer is pretty wonderful <laughs> and, uh, ha having the ability to create your own is pretty sweet too. So that's, uh, Mike Chowns on Twitter, my buddy up north. I uh, I hope that answers your question. Do you want to add anything to uh, re rewarding parts of running a brewery, or are you tapped out? No, I would second your comment about just the uh, collaborative knowledge and the community sort of thing. It's like, I'm not sure that there are very many other industries where you would be friends with your, your competitors, uh, where you would work so closely together. And I would say that's something that has always really stood out to me with the brewing industry. Uh, it's a pretty cool thing. And I, I don't know if I find it rewarding, but I think it's a, a great reason to be part of it. I even, as we're having this conversation, I normally keep a couple of windows and stuff open on my computer for the sake of having access to, you know, articles or something we're going to talk about. There is right now on GTA Brews, which is a great uh, homebrewing, and, and there are professional brewers as well, um, group on Facebook that I'm part of, a, uh, a design for a racking cane. Uh, converted into a venturi driven wart aerator that i'm really excited to try when i finally get my brewing setup at the new place going because uh, i've had aeration problems and i was thinking about getting you know a beer stone and uh either uh you know the setup with the uh, oxygen tank or or just you know using the uh the, the the aquarium pump or whatever but this looks really cool and totally DIY and uh, uh, fellow Toronto brewer Ed has posted this and uh, I'm just looking at it right now. I think this is fantastic. I'm going to totally going to do this. It looks so easy. So cheap. I like it. Uh, okay. So that's good. Uh, that is fulfilling. Can I ask is you a question? Chris, yeah. Yeah. So uh, now that you've sorted through all of your homebrewing stuff, I, and that you've realized that you haven't brewed anything in this calendar year, I would imagine that when you get into the new space and you get all settled that you, uh, you have some, brews in the works or in the in your plans for the foreseeable future yeah i mean i've always got some ideas floating around like the jpa the japanese pale ale, was one that i've kind of been knocking around for a while um i might actually try and do it again <laughs> um because i everything i brew this is another thing that kind of i find often i feel a bit different than a lot of home brewers um I like doing things, you know, to see what happens and, and, and I find that interesting or whatever, but for the most part, I want to make beer because it's, <laughs> I just want to drink it. Um, so the JPA has been something I've thought, oh man, I bet I'd really like drinking that beer. So I want to do that. The other thing, um, and, uh, the guys at Amsterdam make fun of me all the time about it because I'll bring them a beer to taste. They'll be like, taste this. What do you think? And they're always like, is it 3711? And I'm like, yeah, I have one Saison yeast I really like using. <laughs> and uh, I make a lot of Saisons, but that's because it's what I like to drink. So there's always Saisons floating around uh, in my brain that I want to do. Um, so yeah, I also like doing really simple things. Me and Cody at Amsterdam have been talking for ages about homebrewing just a straight 
porter. Like, you know, no, nothing in it. Just porter with that's something i desire all the time and there are very few of them out there on the market like i I love the buddy york porter but i can't always get it get my hands on it yep and otherwise it's like i guess uh clifford brewing has a porter now same thing i can't always get my hands on it but yeah there are are a few of them out there and it's something i love i gotta tell you like i've had the clifford porter a couple times it's fantastic jeff at muddy york's porter like as as he was opening uh, his brewing space, I would swing by because it's geographically very close to me and uh, just pop in and say, hey, see how things are going. He's a very uh, he's still very home brewer esque in his approach to a lot of things. And so it was cool to see the way he's like getting his jockey box set up and stuff like that. He's just he's very uh, DIY, which I like. Um, but, you know, not infrequently, you know, oh, you've got a batch of the porter here. Do you want to give it a try and give it a taste? And man, from. The first time I had that porter, I swear it's only gotten better. Like he, it, it is such a good porter. It's just, you know, it's it's a little marshmallowy and like burnt. Oh, it's beautiful. I could I could drink that every day happily. I so, concur. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's um let's jump back for a minute uh, in the non-existent show notes, just the ones that are in my head, and uh, these are a little more difficult to follow than your. Uh... Your typed shirts. <laughs> the ones that are actually existent. I don't know if you remember, Mandy, but about two weeks ago, uh, we sat down and had a conversation. And uh, it's funny because I'm looking over the show notes on the, on the website. And by the way, if you don't know, uh, if you just listen to this on your you know phone or whatever, uh, TorontoBeerPodcast.com, we put up very helpful, I think, show notes um, that really... Uh, break down that fourth wall of the podcast and let you see what we see. So uh, you should check it out. But anyway, it's just one little line in the middle of the show notes. But of course, we talked about it probably more than anything else. And that was sexism in the beer industry. And I am such a mess right now because it is still first thing in the morning. I haven't even pulled up the article on this computer. It's just on my Mac right now. There it is. Uh, this uh, fantastic, I think, article uh, on the bar towel, um, right on the front page, published on the 16th of August, so like four days after we, uh, four days after we recorded, on beer branding and sexism. Uh, pardon me, by the way, if you can hear my kids in the background, you know, it's summer vacation, and so my son's chasing my daughter around with some sort of a play gun and saying bang, bang, bang a lot. Hopefully that'll edit it. Um, but no, so uh, uh, Dennis uh, Talon has posted this article on beer branding and sexism. Let me just uh, let me just fire it through to you here, Mandy, so you can see yep. what we're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, right you've in seen front it. Of me. Okay. Yeah, and oh, I read it last week. I think it was really, really well written and a great uh, conversation starter. Yeah, I think, and so that right there, uh, probably maybe not the best part of it, but like maybe one of the most important parts of it is uh, Dennis has been very intentional in how he wrote it, that he didn't want it to be an easy way to, you know, go to extremes and, and to start, you know, like a, a pissing war that it was just really designed to kind of just chat and, and open up different ideas and stuff. Um, but it's talking about uh, one specific brewery and we don't even have to, if you want to check out the article, it'll be in the show notes. Um, but uh, that has some, some packaging that, and this is the idea. It it seems very benign, um, but it's it's a case of a, a, of objectifying uh, women in a 
a very simple way. I mean, this is not like, as he notes, there are label, labels and names that are very easy to point a finger at and say that's not acceptable. But these, you know, I think most people uh, would kind of look at and at least shrug off, if not actually just say, no, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But he talks about it and talks about um, just that, that sense that, um, I mean, for one, the, the idea of objectifying in that it's making the concept of a woman uh, as a possession and something that is like a, well, an object. That's why they call it that. Um, but that it's, it's these little quiet kind of things that uh, are kind of constantly, constantly there, constantly in the background, I guess you could say um, that uh, this, it's easy to point the finger at the big things. Like as we talked about, like the, uh, you know, the, the bud girls in, in bikinis at the beer fests, like that's an easy, that's low hanging fruit in the world of sexism. But this gets into a much more interesting, more nuanced kind of conversation about, uh, about, about sexism in the industry and really in, in anything in marketing, it's, it's there, but mm -hmm. again, talking about it in a craft brewing. So you read it, what were your thoughts? So for those who haven't seen it, the, uh, the beer names are, I guess names and or styles are blonde, red, brunette, and dirty blonde. And the the imagery on the can, the packaging is of a silhouette of a woman. Um, there's no there's no face, there are no details. It's just basically the silhouette of a of a woman. Is it? Would you describe it in any other way, Chris? Yeah. I, okay. So for the sake of this, it, it's Old Flame Brewing, um, who make really really good beers. And uh, it's their canned packaging. It, the, the silhouette is also a flame. So they're designed to look like flames kind of shaped into, uh, into women. And uh, it's a very simple, like a one line kind of uh, edge drawing, like you say, a silhouette. So uh, I, I think that, that that would, yeah, that covers it. <laughs> and so I guess the, the challenge here and the argument for this being, um, I guess, not really completely acceptable or potentially offensive is that the woman in this case is being reduced to physical attributes um, as the way to describe her. And I completely understand Old Flame's position about just having some lighthearted fun and really not intending to offend anyone. But where I think the article gets really interesting is when it, it asks, um, even though that was the intention, if there is negative reaction from the public to this and, and folks do find it offensive or or they're not cool with it. Um, is that is that enough to, I guess, change course as a as a brewery? Um, even though you didn't intend harm, if you find that you are being harmful or offensive, would you then consider making a change? Um, I think it's more about how the brewery reacts to commentary or feedback from the public, uh, and less about their their intention. I. I don't doubt that they they didn't intend any harm with this, but if it is found to be harmful and they are getting some some commentary, what do you do with that information now as a brewery? Um, but I, I expect as a brewery and as a marketing person, you've invested fairly significantly in the design. Um, you've gone through the like the pre press stage, and there's some money that you spend getting some getting new can artwork onto the can, um, and I would expect that that money has been spent fairly recently. So. Um, at what point do you do you reevaluate and change course? And I think it's an important question to ask. Um, to what degree do you let the public guide your, your branding? Yeah. Um, I and I mean this is part of I kind of thought of that as well, though I'm sure you thought about it in much more real and tangible ways. But I mean, this is obviously 
I'm assuming they're using like, well, they might have their own line or whatever using session, but this is obviously like a new thing that they've, you know, Mm -hmm. fairly recently done. And so, yeah, to have to (laughs) have to make some sort of course correction right now would be immensely difficult. Um, But yeah, and costly. Um, But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was looking at a thing I, I posted a couple of days ago from the X, actually, because um, do you know the, the chocolate bar Yorkie? It's like an English chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. I, I saw your post about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, I mean, it's interesting. They their their branding is built on um, sort of uh, gender division. So Yorkie, if you don't know, is this chocolate bar, and it's supposedly like this big, dense chocolate bar. Um, and so right now the front just says Yorkie. It's just their lettering and stuff. Uh, but it used to be the O was a no women's sign. Like it had the, the slash through it and it had a, a woman image in the background and it said, uh, not for the girls or something like that on the top, which is terrible. Now it just has a thing. It looks like a stamp on the back that says man fuel for man stuff. And I posted it and like, you know, lightheartedly said now 17% less misogynistic. Um, but then uh, a bit of a, a conversation did, in fact, uh, develop. And the thing that I think, and it's tough, it's, and actually, um, Dennis talks about it in the article, it's a matter of unlearning. Like, we've just, we, I even naturally go to this sense of, like, that's not that big a deal. Or, like, you know, there's bigger fish to fry. And, it's, and so it's like... <laughs> We, we've been kind of taught that, like, well, you can tolerate the low level stuff because, you know, it's not as bad as 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 the much worse, much more uh, prevalent sort of, say, sexism, because that's the topic we're talking about. Um, but that's just not good enough. And I talked about it. I said, especially this stuff must for women be kind of like having like tinnitus where there's just these constant little reminders that for a lot of people, you know, women are in a different position they're they're not as whatever compared to men and uh and i think that sort of stuff really does need to be changed and so i mean this is not me calling out old flame saying hey you got to change your packaging whatever um my hope would be more i mean you know what if they change their packaging great uh my hope would more be that people wouldn't just go to that naturally and, and this idea well it's a bit of lighthearted fun or whatever yeah, but like at whose expense? We need to be in a place where we don't do that. I even referenced in, in the thing I said, um, I used to use uh, the terms retarded and gay, very throwaway, you know, oh, it's so gay. Um, and I stopped. But before I did, I was very defensive of it. And so look, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not homophobic, right? Or knows that I'm not against uh, people with disabilities, but the reality is, whether or not I mean it that way, for specific segments of the population, this is a thing that they put up with all the time. And do I want my voice to be part of that chorus, or do I want my voice to be part of supporting them? And so I stopped, and and I, I'm glad I did, um, uh, you know. But it took a while, and it took a couple of different people kind of calling me out on it, and uh, and and. You know, really kind of holding my feet to the fire on it. So, uh, anyway, that's the, Chris, the I, I, I totally could. I couldn't agree more with with, uh, with your, your commentary. I'm trying to imagine a situation where um, some common discourse or 
common imagery is used on a fairly regular basis that is somewhat derogatory um, or exploits men. And I, I'm struggling. Yeah. And I think uh, that's a... That's yeah, that's a challenge. That's a challenge for you, dear podcast listeners. Let's let's come up and see if anything pops to mind. I, I can't either. It's funny because I can think of ways that men deal with... Um, you know, misaligned gender definitions or mm -hmm. gender expectations and stuff. Totally um, agree. For sure. So actually, here's a great example. Um, last year or two years ago, last year, I think it was, I took Ben to the ball game and had said, all right, buddy, like, you know, we're going to go to the game. We'll do, we'll do that whole bit. And I was like, let's get you a hat because he didn't have anything Blue Jays um, to my, my, much my shame. And I said, well, let's get you a hat. And uh, he said, okay. So we went to uh, the, the hat stand and one of Ben's things, he loves really bright, vibrant colors. Like he likes the brightest thing generally that he could get. If, if there's six items that are virtually the same except color, he'll generally take the brightest one. Well, the brightest hat at the hat stand, it, and you, everyone probably who's you know looked at a TV recently has seen at least one, is that like day glow pink uh, Blue Jays one where the logo is stylized into pink as well. It's like the pink and white hat. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Ben was like, oh, I want that one. And the guy, because, you know, you can't touch them. You're on the one side of the counter. The guy was like, this one? And he pointed to the one next to it. And Ben was like, no, no, next to it. And he went, like, in the other direction. And I was like, no, man, the pink one. And he kind of, like, uh, and he came over. He's like, you know, it's a woman's hat. <laughs> I was like, who cares, right? Uh -huh. So there are these things that happen for men as well. And I'm not, A, I'm not trying to suggest that men have it easy but b i'm also not here trying to suggest that we're in some way experiencing an equal level of of sexism um but it does exist there are ways but like you say in terms of objectifying bodies i mean maybe maybe in pickup truck ads but they're not really marketing towards women they're trying to market towards men who want to live up to this non-existent ideal i guess but that's about all i got pickup yeah. truck ads it's a struggle. Very rarely does it involve like a imagery of a sex charged imagery of a, of a man in the same way that right. And it's not in the packaging at all. Right? I'm just thinking in marketing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sexism. Come on, guys. We all can be better here. We can do better. We can do better. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say like, so what's what's the next beer from uh, from uh, Left Field gonna be? Uh, Bat Boy Ephus, and it's going to be a sexy-looking Bat Boy on the label. No, definitely not. Mm. That's, no, a really really... That's a really bad beer name. <laughs> I know, because all I can think is like the the Seinfeld, the Bat Boy from the, the Inquirer. <laughs> okay, let's transition off this. Um, back to the show notes. Uh, I know this one you've probably been looking forward to most. Gosh, I hope you've been thinking about it because I actually did. Now I have to try and remember what I thought. Um, another another craft beer fan in Toronto, Josh, who I also know. I know most of the people who interact with me on a daily basis. Pardon me. Um, asked on the Facebook page, what was your first IPA? And I think I'm going to go ahead and assume we're not including Keith's in that. So if we're including Keith's in it, then Keith's is mine. Do you remember what your first IPA, like legit IPA you had was? You know what? I don't. I thought Untapped would help me out because that's how I use Untapped is to 
to remember what I drank at what point. And mm-hmm. uh, I scrolled all the way back. It takes forever to scroll back in Untapped because um, you always have to click see me or something. Anyway, uh, that's besides the point. I I actually don't remember. I don't think that's the answer Josh was looking for. <laughs> um, but I I have no I have no clue. I'm trying to even pinpoint a moment where I realized I really love that style because I wasn't always a, a fan of the style, mm-hmm. and I I can't attach a beer to it whatsoever. I'm trying really hard, but no idea. I'm kind of in the same boat. I I didn't use Untapped that far back, and so I'm not sure in terms of that. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, aside uh, aside from Heath says noted. My expectation is that it probably would have been like a British style IPA. Actually, I didn't even think of this. I, I wrote quite a long article, in fact, about the first time I ever had Cascale. I wonder, one of those might have been an IPA. Um, that would have been in Bath in England in 1999. Um, but if it was, I can't remember it as having specifically been an IPA. I, I mostly remember just how English the beers were. I didn't even know that that's what it was at the time. But looking back, the the, ta- the flavor profile, they were very English. They were fruity and had very noble uh, English hop to it. So anyway, um, the first IPA that I could actually put a name to that I remember drinking, and this well predates Chris as the beer geek, was uh, Anchor Liberty Ale, which was at the uh, LCBO. And I guarantee you, I bought it solely because of the shape of the bottle and the awesomeness of the label. But then I remember, I, I, like, I can't remember the place and time, but I remember that the first time I had that beer, I was like, whoa, this is really good. And I don't know what this like bitter thing going on is, but I want more. And uh, so that was my, that's the first IPA I can really remember kind of setting my teeth to. And, and it's still an IPA that I drink today um, is the Anchor Liberty Ale. My gosh, I love that beer. It's a good one. It is a good one. Um, okay. So that Josh, hope that helps. Josh, by the way, and I drink IPAs together and uh, he's, he's, he's becoming uh, quite the, uh, quite the little hophead is Josh, Josh Lake. Good guy. Um, I'm sorry, Josh, for my terrible answer. It's all right. You can I'll do better next time. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's be better. Late breaking news. We <laughs> wonder if I could edit in one of those like. That'll be it. Actually, I don't need to edit it, and I just did it. Everybody should be reading, and should have. Everybody listening to this podcast should have already seen this. I'm going to put it out that way. This is only late breaking news. If you're listening to the podcast, if you're, if you're not listening to the podcast, if, if you're alive right now, this instant, in this moment in time, Ben Johnson, uh, the beer writer, did you ever actually, I'm going to sidestep here. You think about this, Ben Johnson, our friend, the beer writer, the grumpy beer writer, as he calls himself sometimes. Uh, I don't know if he ever actually uses that term, but the old man, um, Michael Jackson, the beer writer, who's the next celebrity named beer writer gonna be that's a good question i don't know you have any predictions i'm gonna go with chris martin the beer writer we need to find him if we can find him maybe we could do an interview with him ask him how often he gets asked stupid questions about his name chris martin the beer writer if you're out there we want to talk to you buddy or well buddy's not gender specific could be a girl Anyway, Ben Johnson, our friend, not the sprinter. 
uh just released today 8 41 a.m so less than half an hour ago well about half an hour ago more details about the lcbo growler program now i wonder he says the lcbo sent an email to some of ontario's craft breweries to invite them to submit products for the launch of the growler fill program that will start with their flagship summer hill location that's a direct quote by the way mandy was left field one of the recipients of said emails we were yes uh the email actually states that it's commercially confidential and sensitive, so please do not redistribute or uh, discuss it publicly. And so, as a oh. recipient of that email, I would, I'd probably, wanna... I should probably err on the side of uh, not redistributing or discussing publicly. Okay. Mandy <laughs> is pleading the fifth. Ben Johnson has put together an article. He has seen the email. Somebody has sent it to him that camaraderie that uh, exists in the industry i guess uh but it's interesting and he's got it all up here lcbo is going to have their own growlers you can uh, you can get that's exciting um they're looking mainly for products that are not available already which is great i like that too and uh yeah there's still some questions he has but this is a cool article more information out right now about the LCBO Growler program. You go check out bensbeerblog.com. We'll have the link in the show notes and you can read all about it. And Mandy doesn't have to feel like she's uh, she's tipped her hand uh, for the LCBO. So uh, that's late breaking news. Um, anyway, back to you. <laughs> back to the newsroom. Um, so here's the thing. I've, I've talked about it you know, multiple times. We talked about it today. I'm moving. Um, Toronto Beer Week kicks off. What's the dates? You must know the dates. You're better at this stuff than me. I do know the dates. We're working on our plans, so I have them handy. Uh, it kicks off. It's either Friday the 18th or Saturday the 19th. I'm not sure the exact kickoff day of the of Toronto Beer Week. It's September. So yeah, September they normally 18th do the 19th. the tapping. I think on Friday, but uh, and there's normally is it craft beer experience at Berkeley Church is normally the night before. It's the Thursday. I'm not, I'm not certain we've not participated in that one. Okay. Anyway, we're looking at, call it the 18th. Uh, I'm moving. We're going to be unpacking. Uh, Mandy has two new fermenters they need to fill. We're going to take a little break. This is the end of season one of the Toronto Beer Podcast. Uh, we're going to come back at you uh, for Toronto Beer Week. We'll probably record before because I'm sure I'm not going to want to record during and neither are you. Although maybe we'll do like a live on location or something. That could be kind of fun. That could be fun. Uh, yeah, it won't be a full podcast, that, but we'll do a podcast for Toronto Beer Week. That'll be the next time you guys will hear from us. We're taking a little end of summer break, Labor Day, you know, support the unions or whatever. I don't know. But uh, I, I feel this is a good time for a little pause. And uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. Um, what do you got coming up during the pause? Aside from, uh, I know you got, you got a new bottling line you're figuring out. Uh, I was there for a CO2 pressure check. It's very exciting. Ben loved that. And some new tanks. What else? You got any, anything coming down the pipe? Yeah, we have some brand new bottles. So we just upgraded to, a, along with the two new fermenters, we've upgraded to a more efficient uh, bottling line. And so as a result, we need to change our model. So we'll be launching a new uh, new bottle in the shop um, probably mid next week or late next week, depending on how well the first, uh, how smoothly the first bottling run goes. And uh, yeah, the first brand that we'll be bottling is actually our, is going to be our new fall seasonal brand. So Sunlight Park was our, our summer seasonal and it's just making its way out now. Um, and 
yeah, we have a, a new brand coming up. So we'll actually be launching the brand this weekend at the tap room on cask and i haven't announced it anywhere else yet so this is the uh, the official launch announcement <gasps> hmm. go um so the the style is a hoppy wheat ale or an american uh, american wheat yep and it's five and a half percent it's uh it's just beautiful in color and very fresh and aromatic and hoppy wheat ale and the name of the beer is a great is Grandstand, so it's a Grandstand Hoppy Wheat, and we'll have it around for the entire fall season. Um, but the first place it will launch is on Cask in the brewery this weekend, so you Amazing. can find find a cask of it tapped each day on the Saturday and the Sunday. I am before I commit. Yep, I'm going to come by on Saturday and have some <laughs> of that. That uh, that sounds fantastic. That actually, as a style, is a style I'm very fond of. I think the first time I had it was the Schneiderweiss Brooklyn uh, collaboration. Uh, and have loved that style. Uh, is it Truly Diablo does a pretty good one? The um, I'm forgetting that which one it is, but they do a nice one. And yeah, that's a good style. Miami Vice, obviously. And now Grandstand. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, We've been so working on the recipe for quite some time. We sent a few batches through the pilot system, and um, it's something we've been doing some analysis on us in terms of other other examples in the market. And there wasn't really anything that was meeting our our needs existing mm. on the market. Um, or our specific taste preferences. So it's something we, we've been spending a, a lot of time on, and we're really excited to to launch it for the entire season, not just as a one-off. That's wicked. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, I'm moving. and uh, so Do you that's... still need those boxes? I have a yep. giant growing pile of boxes at the brewery for you, so come on by and grab them. I will come by probably tomorrow. i got an errand to run out your way, so I will do that. That's fantastic. Moving boxes. And then anybody listeners, uh, yeah, Toronto Beer Podcast listeners, anyone moving uh, after September the 3rd, you let me know. I'm going to have a lot of boxes. You can have them. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll even break them down for you. So, uh, so cool. That's it. We'll talk to you guys uh, just before Toronto Beer Week. Have a, a nice Labor Day and uh, enjoy some uh, long weekend beers when it hits next next week. Two weeks. When's the two weeks? Till, no, next weekend is a long weekend, right? Yeah, not this coming weekend, but the yeah. uh, the weekend of the fifth, sixth. Ten seven. days away, back to school, kids. If you're a kid going back to school, maybe this isn't the podcast you should be listening to. Talk to you in a few weeks, guys. <laughs>